0: Today's sermon is entitled, Opportunity Knocks. Let's start reading in 1 Kings 18, verse 1. Later on, in the third year of the drought, the Lord said to Elijah, go and present yourself to King Ahab. Tell him that I will soon send rain. So Elijah went to appear before Ahab. Meanwhile, the famine had become very severe in Samaria. So, three and a half years, this famine takes place. Elijah's hiding out at the brook Cherith, and then he's hiding out with the widow at Zarephath. And now the king's, the, the king's about to meet Elijah, who he's been chasing, but Elijah's coming to him. Elijah's on his way after God speaks to him. He's been patient through these years of no rain. He's waiting on God to speak to say go, and now God says, go, Elijah, my deliverance is at hand. And then entering this story is the man I want to talk about today, Obadiah. He's a man who loves God. He's a man who's just doing his job well. He's not a minister per se, but he is a fellow who loves God. And he gets this incredible opportunity to be involved in part of God's recorded history, the Bible. He doesn't know that at the time, but it's something that's about to change his nation. It's going to help bring them back to God. But he's going to have to exercise courage. It's an easy assignment in some respects, but it takes courage. I was reading um, about the word crisis this week, and and in a way Obadiah was having a crisis because the thing that God was asking him to do could cost him his life. The definition of the word crisis. I saw the Chinese definition, and it's made up. It's a little different than ours. Their, their word crisis. It, it has to do with danger. The word crisis has two components: danger and opportunity. Well, he, he's kind of got that kind of crisis going on in his life, where it doesn't feel very good. It feels dangerous, but there's a tremendous opportunity. A lot of Christians were disappointed with the election results. And in a way, it does show some crises for our nation. The things that we're voted in don't match biblical values in Colorado, Washington, and other places across the nation. But I think we should see this election as an opportunity. I really do. Let's do the small things like Obadiah does. Let's look at that today. How do you change a nation? You change them one at a time. You care about your neighbors. You care about your friends. You care about whether they know Jesus. And when Jesus comes into hearts, things change. Let's pray. Father, help us as we look at this today. May we see the truth that sets us free. In Jesus' name, amen. First point I have for you today, God gives opportunities to faithful followers. I don't think we give enough thought to this in the body of Christ these days. We have kind of fallen victim to You know, a philosophy that says, well, we're all sinners. Well, first of all, in the Bible, God doesn't refer to the people of God as sinners. Uh, It it says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but but we're not people who sin continually, right? We're people who are becoming more and more like Jesus all the time and moving away from those things. That's the will of God. But we've somehow forgotten that faithfulness is really important to God. And he gives his best opportunities to the faithful followers. 1 Kings 18, one of these guys comes on the scene. So Ahab summoned Obadiah. Now Ahab's the king. We're reading this in order from those verses I started with earlier. So Elijah's on his way now. And Ahab summons Obadiah. Ahab's the wicked king, remember. Obadiah was in charge of the palace. Obadiah was a devoted follower of the Lord. And once when Jezebel had tried to kill all the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had hidden a hundred of them in two caves. He put 50 prophets in each cave and supplied them with food and water. So here he is. He's just working a secular job. He's a hard-working man with great skill. He's an administrator. He's a supervisor in the palace for the wicked king. But we find out here that he really loves God. Interesting that he probably couldn't be too public with his faith. You know, we, we look too much on the outward as Christians. Uh, if someone uh, is visibly speaking among other Christians with uh, boldness, um, we, we tend to highly value that. And if someone is demonstrative in their worship, we tend to mean that, say, you know, think that means something, but not necessarily you can do those things and not really live a righteous life behind the scenes or in secret. But here's the thing I want you to know about faithfulness. Here's the reason God chose Obadiah for this assignment. He was a faithful follower of God. The Bible talks a lot about things done in secret. It talks about praying in secret. Because you're sincere if you're praying in secret. It talks about public prayers to be seen of men and kind of ridicules that in the Bible. It doesn't mean public prayer is wrong. It means if it's to be seen of men that it's wrong. It talks about outward expressions when the Pharisees were acting like they were a big deal as religious people, wanted everybody to see that they were fasting. And Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. Obadiah didn't do a lot of talking, but he did a lot of walking faithfully. And faithful followers who will do what God says are the righteous servants of the Lord. God chooses men because they're devoted and women. He feared the Lord greatly it says. He was a devoted follower. He chooses faithful people. Psalm 18 says this the Lord dealt Rather, the Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He has rewarded me. So there's something about living right that God really likes. Living according to the, the 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 Bible and what it says. If you're an employer, let's just take a scenario, and you have a faithful worker who's always on time, super talented, works hard, goes the extra mile. And then you have another employee who is also super talented but not on time, oversleeps, doesn't put in the hours that he says he puts in and doesn't really care about the company's advancement. You have those two employees and a promotion comes up and those are your two choices. Who are you going to choose? You're going to choose the faithful one. You're going to choose the one who cares about the bottom line for the company and not just themselves. God's smarter than you are. He chooses faithful people. And it ought to be an encouragement to us to live our lives faithfully so that we can come into all that God has for us. I believe all of us have a potential that's amazing. I believe that potential is realized as we're faithful to the Lord. And he'll bring some assignments that'll blow you away. Oh, it may not seem like a big assignment, but when we do little things... For the Lord, when he speaks in a faithful way, great things happen. Here's some examples of uh, God choosing faithful people in the Bible. Acts 10.2, talking about Cornelius. He and his family were devout and God-fearing. And he gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. And one day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius... Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? And the angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring a man back named Simon who is called Peter. So here's a guy that the Lord chooses to work through because he's faithful, because he's giving to the poor, because he's praying. And all that came up as a memorial offering to God. God cares about the way we live. He'll love us. He loves people who don't know him. He, for God so loved the world that he gave. He loves us all. But his assignments and his great work go through those who are faithful. Luke one twenty eight. I was at Macy's and saw the Christmas stuff this week already. So you get your first Christmas Taste in the service here this is part of the Christmas story. Little Mary, probably a teenage girl. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Why did he choose that teenage girl to be what the Bible calls the, the most blessed woman ever, to bear the Savior of the world? Because she had been faithful to the Lord and she found favor with him. People who are faithful find favor. You want the favor of God? It's not about just saying a bunch of positive words. It's about living faithfully for the Lord. And he'll bring those assignments that are a great blessing where we can be part of his story today. Luke 1 talks about Zechariah and Elizabeth gave birth to Jesus. A a, a man that was a godly man, both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing the Lord's commandments and regulations, blamelessly. I I want you to know that's the New Testament, commandments and regulations. So it's like valued in the New Testament too. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Well, God chooses... To use them in their latter years because part of it's they're upright in the sight of God and they're following him. I want us, I want to, I would like for you to value, know the value of your faithfulness. 1 Samuel 2.30 says this, those who honor me I will honor. Wow. If we honor God, God says he'll honor us. Psalm 73:1. Truly, God is good to Israel to those whose hearts are pure. God likes purity in the hearts of his believers. So, some people think, well, uh, you know, being into pornography won't hurt me too much because I'm not hurting anyone else, right? And I love Jesus and I know he'll forgive me and I'm going to heaven. And Well, here's the deal: it, it could destroy your marriage it'll certainly destroy the intimacy that you have with your wife. It destroys the purity of what God wants and you just, you just don't find yourself moving into the things of God. It just stunts your spiritual growth majorly. And then the enemy will put you on a gradual decline, a desensitization, I can't say it, but you know what I mean, where, where eventually you'll end up doing things you never thought you'd do with that gateway God values purity he uses pure people I'm not saying perfect years ago I read an article that kind of surprised me it was um, in USA Today I believe and it was talking about um, hamburger and it said that the USDA is changing the code to reduce the amount of fecal matter in hamburger. I read that, and I don't know if you had the same reaction, but I thought, you mean there's fecal matter in hamburger now? So here's a question for you. Evidently it had to do with rats and mice and the stuff that can end up, uh, you know, their excrement that can end up in the food, and there's a certain amount of that that's, that's a lot. Well, let me ask you, what percentage of rat turds do you want in your hamburger? <laughs> I'm just here to tell you, any percentage is too much for me. I want zero. Well, God likes purity too. God can work through a pure life. I remember telling someone years ago, listen, listen, it was about worship when we first came here in the early days and there were some people that were, were not living right around some of the things that, you, you know, the lives in, in our fellowship. And I took someone out for a while to be healed up from something. And I didn't want them coming back real soon because I wanted to make sure that, that they were ready so that you might be blessed. And it, it wasn't huge, but it was Something. And I said to one of our worship leaders, listen, I don't care if it's just you up there with the guitar, I want a clean glass of water ministering to this fellowship. God cares about those things. His blessings follow purity. His favor, his assignments follow those things and that's why Obadiah got the assignment. Second point today. When God gives us opportunities, courage is is required. So, Obadiah gets an assignment, but it's not just that easy. He still needed courage. 1 Kings, I love the turn of those pages because it means that you're following with your notes. You're probably small group people, life group people gonna do your homework this week, and you're growing. I love that. 1 Kings 18.5, 18.5, Ahab said to Obadiah, we must check every spring and valley in the land to see if we can find enough grass. Now this is Ahab the king, the wicked king, remember, coming to the supervisor, administrator of all of his stuff in the palace and, and the kingdom. And he's saying, hey, uh, the famine's great. We must check every spring and valley in the land to see if we can find enough grass to save at least some of my horses and mules. find it's interesting that the wicked king cared more about his animals than he did the people in his kingdom. Verse six, so they divided the land between them and Ahab went one way by himself and Obadiah went another way by himself. As Obadiah was walking along, he suddenly saw Elijah coming toward him. Now remember, Elijah had been head out for three years. Obadiah recognized him at once and bowed low to the ground before him. Is it really you, my Lord Elijah, he asked. Yes, it is, Elijah replied. Now go and tell your master Elijah is here. Well, catch the dynamics here. They've been searching to kill him because he had prophesied that there would be no rain for three years, and it hadn't rained for six months before that. So three and a half years without rain, they're blaming Obadiah. They're searching to kill him. That's why they're, they're killing the other prophets, as they're searching for him as well. Oh, sir, verse 9, Obadiah protested, what harm have I done to you that you are sending me to my death at the hands of Ahab? For I swear by the Lord your God that the king has searched every nation and kingdom on earth from end to end to find you. But each time he was told, Elijah isn't here. King Ahab forced the king of that nation to swear to the truth of his claim. And now you say, go and tell your master, Elijah is here. But as soon as I leave you, the spirit of the Lord will carry you away to who knows where. When Ahab comes and cannot find you, he will kill me. Yet I have been a true servant of the Lord all my life. Has no one told you, my Lord, about the time when Jezebel was trying to kill the Lord's prophets? I hid 100 of them in two caves and supplied them with food and water. And now you say, go and tell your master Elijah is here? Sir, if I do that, Ahab will certainly kill me. So it's a small assignment. You just go and give words. But it's a big deal because it takes some courage to do it. He could suffer a great loss, primarily his life. So God leads Elijah down this road. And Obadiah has such reverence for God and the man of God that he actually bows and falls on his face to the earth and, he's, and he calls him my Lord. And Elijah gives this assignment. And then Obadiah says, Why me? You ever, you ever felt that way in life when God gives you an assignment? Of course, we feel that way when it's a hard assignment, right? When God says, I want you to talk to your boss about the lack of integrity in his dealings, that would be a hard assignment, huh? I want you to raise this child who's rebellious and I want you to hang in there and keep reaching them with my love. That's a tough assignment sometimes. Sometimes. I want you to go to the hard place and help people who are in trouble when the hard place means hardship for you too. I want you to sacrifice your time and money for my purposes. Why me, God? Obadiah is given an assignment that he doesn't immediately like. He says, if you move and you're not here, when he comes back, he will kill me. But Elijah says, I will be here. Trust me, I'll be here. Tell the king. So Obadiah, now this is to his credit, musters up the courage to do the thing God is calling him to do. Uh, Let me tell you that faith without works is dead. You know that in the Bible, right? That that you can't just speak words. You You have to do the works of God. Right? So we don't just say help the poor. We actually help the poor. Right? Faith without works is dead. Did you know that when you're exercising faith, courage is required at times? That's part of faith. You can get an assignment and decide not to do it and you won't receive the blessing. God will find someone else. You won't receive the blessing, but If you do decide to do it and you have courage, and courage is dependent upon you, you're the one who decides if you'll do it. God will not violate your will. But it takes courage to say, Yes, Lord, I will do it. Let me tell you about, well, first let me read this. Courage isn't the absence of fear, it's the overcoming of it. You've heard me say that before. Um, If there's no reason to doubt, there's no reason for faith. And um, God will give us assignments that we might wrestle with, but when we will be faithful and have the courage to follow through and make our decision, yes, Lord, I'll obey, we'll see him move. Let me tell you about some times that I had fear and courage was required. I had fear about going into the ministry, but I'm glad I did. I had fear about asking Karen to marry me. but I'm really glad I did. I had fear about coming to Grace Community Church, now called Horizon, because at the time the church had $70,000 in bills that had not been paid behind on their bills, but I'm glad that I came when the Lord told me to come. I had fear about that. I had fear about bringing the idea of this new piece of property that you sit on and starting a financial campaign But I'm glad I followed the words of the Lord and said yes, even though I had fear. The Lord helped me overcome it. I had fear the first time I asked a donor to give one million dollars to the cause. But I'm glad I did. Because he gave three. Over a three-year period. And I didn't make that happen. I was just a part of it but I'm glad God let me be a part of it and I'm glad I had the courage to do it. I didn't want to do it. I had fear about sharing what I felt the Lord told me to share at uh, a Tualatin baccalaureate years ago when they said, we prefer that you don't talk about Jesus. Tualatin high school. And I got back to them and said, Just so you know, I'm a Jesus guy, and I'll be, it's it's fine with me if you want to have someone else, but but if I come, I'll talk about Jesus. And they let me come, but even that night, I was afraid when it all started, and there were a few hundred people, and I talked about Jesus and gave an altar response time at the end, and 17 people gave their hearts to Jesus that night. Now, I I told that story a while back, and I said 27. I've been feeling bad about it ever since. That happened in Dallas, and I got numbers crossed. It was 17, so I just want to set that straight today. I think Karen actually set me straight on that one. It's just weird when the Holy Spirit's voice is female. Uh, I have fear today when I talk to you about 2.10, the New Horizon and the new things there's some fundraising that I'm going to have to do attached to that I'm a little bit fearful about it but you know what I really believe God's saying do it so in that sense I'm kind of an illustration about overcoming fear right but it's true for all of us that we need to do that in our lives every servant of the Lord has to overcome fear in order to see the will of the Lord accomplished at some point in their lives. Every servant. Moses, I can't speak well. Gideon, I'm the least of my tribe. Abraham, heading into a new land where he knew no one. He faced a great challenge of fear. Fear. What's it all mean? Where am I going? Sometimes I think we have to be, or we're like Jarius, rather. You remember that? That was a centurion, a soldier in the Bible. And on Veterans Day, it might be appropriate to bring him out. He faced a great challenge of fear, the loss of one of his loved ones, his daughter. And Jesus spoke to him, and I think we need these words for our fears, too. When Jesus said to Jarius, Don't be afraid, do not be afraid. Just believe. When the Lord starts you on a journey and you're in it because he is leading you there, courage and faith will be required. And his words to us when he's put us on that journey. He put Van on a journey, right? This is, this is God moving on Van's heart to start this group. Don't be afraid, just believe. The last point I want to pull out of this story today is Small opportunities can create big moments in life. First Kings 18, <clears throat> picking up the story again, but Elijah said, I swear by the Lord Almighty in whose presence I stand that I will present myself to Ahab this very day. So Obadiah went to tell Ahab, there he is, he's just being courageous and faithful. Okay, God, if that's what you say. So Obadiah went to tell Ahab, that Elijah had come and Ahab went out to meet Elijah. And the story is really good. You gotta come in the next few weeks and see what God does here. Obadiah fulfills the assignment the Lord gives him. In a way it's a small assignment but it takes great courage. God greatly uses small things we do for him. That'll change your life as a Christian if you believe that because we're looking to do big things for him. But God greatly uses small things that we do for him. This was a devoted man, Obadiah, devoted fully to the Lord. And he was a man who had the courage to follow through on a small thing, but God did a great thing. God will just ask you to do small things that will have tremendous consequences in changing people's lives. I often hear people say, well, you know, how do you become a better witness to to talk to people about Jesus? There's probably a lot of great, you know, ABCD layouts for you. But the thing that I've found is to listen to the Holy Spirit when God will prompt your heart to say something to someone. And it's just, he's so amazingly creative and he makes it so comfortable at times and he'll use it greatly. And so if God speaks to our heart about asking someone to church, sometimes we'll feel anxiety, right? What if we just, you know, small things can lead to great salvation sometimes? What if, what if the Lord's saying, you're my faithful witness, I have you in front of them now, speak. And they come and they, they find out how awesome God is and he's been looking to help them all the time in their trouble. And he brings them salvation years ago someone invited me to a meeting when I was a student at George Fox College and I wasn't living for the Lord. I'm not proud of it, but it's true that I was a prodigal. I'd been raised in the church and I moved away from the Lord in, in college. And, and, you know, to make it really sad, I knew. I knew the right way. And I still chose not to follow it. And, um. Someone invited me to a meeting at George Fox when I was a student there, and they said, hey, there's a guy coming. He's gonna speak in the Sutton lobby. He's a preacher. He's really funny. He's warm. He's relational. I said, yeah, no thanks. They said, well, I used to play basketball, and I was a basketball player at the time there at the college, and I said, yeah, no thanks. But I was walking uh, by Sutton a couple nights later, and I looked in the lobby, and it was jammed with over 100 students, this dorm lobby. And then I saw a guy about looked like he was about six five standing up there speaking. And I thought, oh, this must be that guy they were talking about. And then I was a little bit intrigued and I moved in and I sat down near the back. And I listened. And he was funny. And he had a relational style that I wasn't familiar with. I'd been raised in a rompem and stompem atmosphere. Penny cost at any cost, the spout where the glory comes out. That's, you know, and I, just spitting and spewing, you know. You couldn't get in the first couple of rows or you're in trouble. And, and I, I, I just thought yeah, that was part of, see, I'd had hands laid on me when I was little and, and prophecies came forward three times. You're going to be a pastor from the time I was little to the time I was a teenager. And the Lord has a call in your life. I didn't want it to be true. I just didn't, because all I knew was the model that I had seen, and I couldn't be one of those romp 'em, em guys. That's just the way I felt. It, you know, you got to be real, right? And, and uh, that was part of my, my running, and I'm watching this guy, he's warm, and he's funny, and he's relational, and the Spirit of God is strong in him, and he's foursquare, and I know what that means. That means he's familiar with this whole spirit uh, theology. And I listened to him and I surrendered for the first time in my life. Now I didn't come back to the Lord at that moment, but I said at that moment when I was listening to that man, Lord, if that's what you want me to do, if I could be myself and you could use me, I think I would do that. The man that night was Ron Mill from Beaverton Forest Square. Before he died, I got a chance tell him that story and that was the night that the Lord put his finger on me and he said I know you and I love you and I want to use your life I haven't forgotten about you the interesting thing about that story is I can't remember the guy's name or face who invited me to that thing But I don't think I would have stopped in unless he had said something. Small thing. Changed my life. God can use small things to do great things. And if we'll just carry a heart to be faithful, to listen to the voice of the Spirit, to be willing to take a little bit of embarrassment. I mean, how bad can it be if you ask someone to come to church, right? At least they know you'd like them to be with you. There's a lot of people who wish somebody would like to be with them somewhere these days, you know. When you look at the Bible and the way the Lord used people who did small things, we can see it in Mark twelve forty two. A poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Do you remember that? The Lord said Jesus was watching and said she gave more than all of you, because she had great need in her own life and she gave her last little bit for me. And God used that story about that poor widow, one little thing and one little moment that she did, not even knowing or thinking about people watching. And God used it incredibly. God uses small things in great ways. John 6, we see that In verse 9, that a boy brought five small barley barley loaves rather and two small fish and Jesus used it to feed the 5,000. Just a little guy who had enough sense to make his own lunch because he's going out in the country for a day. The adults never even thought about it evidently in this setting, but God used this little guy's organized ways and that small thing, he becomes a, part, a big part of the story. Obadiah is faithful. He's given a small assignment, but it requires great courage. And he follows through and becomes part of God's story. A story that would bring change to a nation. He got to be part of it. Zechariah 4.10 Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. I believe that if we'll be pa- people who are just willing to be faithful and do the small things that God has asked us to do, you don't even have to stand on a cafeteria table and say turn or burn. You don't have to do any of that. You just, you're just faithful. You just live a life. I, I had a professor at college who said, said to me once, people would rather see a sermon than hear one any day you live a life and then when the opportunity comes that's Holy Spirit inspired, you do the small thing God's asking you to do and then great things can happen. What's God calling you to do? However small, however great, be faithful. Be courageous and take those steps he's asking you to take and you'll discover the blessing of a significant life. Life. We're success-driven in our nation and it hurts us. We should be significance-driven. Do the significant thing. And you know what's significant? Eternal things. We'll discover the blessing of a significant life if we'll do these things and we'll see his kingdom come and his will be done in this nation and in our generation.